Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Um, it's good to be here in downtown Charleston worshiping our Lord and Savior with you. Uh, if you uh, didn't hear Craig, my name is Jacob. Uh, my name is not John Song. I know some of you probably thought that he was back, but, uh, you know, he's a, he's a better looking guy than I am, so you should have been able to tell the difference. Um, I work with Reform University Fellowship, uh, which is a, the campus ministry of this denomination, of the PCA, and um, I work at the College of Charleston, so I'm over there um, uh, gathering students. Um, the goal of RUF is to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve. Um, I know at least a few of you in this room uh, were involved in RUF in college, and that, that very thing happened to you. You were reached uh, for Christ, and then you were equipped to serve, and here you are doing that, and it's a joy to see that. Um, uh, with my own eyes. Uh, so this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Um, Acts is in the second half of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Um, I think it's page 909 in your pew Bible. So as you turn there, um, we're looking at Acts 1. And this morning uh, the title for uh, this talk is uh, called is Storytellers. We're to be storytellers of Jesus. Um, in the very first verse of, of uh, the book of Acts, it says uh, who it's written to. It says it's written to Theophilus. And uh, scholars think that Theophilus, it could be a person whose name was Theophilus, but the word Theophilus means lover of God. And so they think, uh, scholars think that it could easily be a symbolic name for anyone who is seeking to follow Jesus, who's seeking to follow Him. And so I think it's appropriate for us to read the book of Acts as a uh, as just that, lovers of God, those who are seeking to know what the impact of the Christian story is on our lives. Acts tells us this morning that we are all to be witnesses, that we are to be storytellers who bring the good news of the gospel, of what it means to be in Christ and the impact that that's going to have on our lives out into the world. Uh, this, we're going through Acts this semester um, at the Call to Charleston, and this morning's passage um, sets the table for the whole book of Acts. It kind of gives us an outline for what the whole book of Acts is about. Uh, verse 8 gives us kind of this theme verse of God's power coming to His people and uh, going out into the world. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we read Acts 1, verses 1 through 14. This is God's Word to us this morning. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is God's Word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me for the teaching of it? Our Father, we're thankful for your Word. We're thankful to get to come together, to gather together in this assembly, uh, to hear your Word proclaimed. Lord, I do pray that that's what what would happen, that you would proclaim your Word through my feeble lips, and that your people here would be encouraged, would be edified, um, would be galvanized to go out and to serve you in our city. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. You may have a seat. So I think uh, maybe it would be too much of a generalization to say that we all love a good court drama, but I know probably many people out there love a good court drama. Um, My wife and I, a couple years ago, found ourselves engrossed in a Netflix series called The Staircase. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. It, um, it tells a story of a man in Durham, North Carolina, who was sitting by the pool, uh, walks inside his house, and finds his wife uh, dead at the bottom of a staircase. And throughout this series, they kind of investigate exactly what happened. There are some who think that he was to blame for the death. There are others that think uh, that it was just an accident. There are some that think an owl uh, attacked her on her way back into the house, and she you know, stumbled into the, into the house and kind of uh, expired there at the bottom of the stairs. Um, but uh, all that to say, the, the point is that no one knows what happened. There were no eyewitnesses. No one saw with their very eyes what took place that night uh, in Durham, North Carolina in 2003. Uh, this morning, we're being told about eyewitnesses. We're being told about these men, these followers of Jesus who actually saw what happened. They physically heard it, and it transformed their lives. Like the apostles here, we also are confused. Once uh, we've accepted the story that they accepted as their own, uh, as our own, we don't always fully understand what's next. We don't always fully understand what we're called to do or who we're called to be. We've heard what God has done, but how should or does that impact our own lives? Because of God's great acts of redemption in our lives, we are to be His witnesses. We are to be His storytellers. And we're to be His storytellers, His witnesses in two ways. We're to be witnesses of God's story and witnesses by God's Spirit. Witnesses of God's story and witnesses by God's Spirit. So, witnesses of God's story. We're going to look primarily in the second half of this passage um, for the beginning. Um, but a quick overview of where we are in the book of Acts. I know I'm kind of parachuting in and uh, just starting you off on a new book that you're not going to finish uh, through a sermon series, so um, you're, you're welcome to read it on your own. But um, So we're at the second half of a two-part work. So uh, Luke is the author of Acts. He wrote Luke and Acts, and many scholars kind of think of them as one, one uh, narrative in two different books, so Luke, Acts. 
And uh, it says in verse 1 that uh, he began in his first book, which is talking about Luke, with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that implies that the book of Acts is going to tell us all the things that Jesus continued to do and teach. So many people, um, and maybe you see in your Bible there that it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but many scholars think it should actually be called the Acts of Jesus, or the Acts of Jesus by His Spirit, because Jesus is the one who's actually at work, who's actually acting um, in this book. So we're to be witnesses of God's story. What is God's story? Uh, it's, it kind of is in two parts, uh, at least for this morning, uh, His death and resurrection and then His ascension. So His death and resurrection, uh, we are to be God's witnesses, and that means that we are to tell our neighbors the good news of God's story. And the good news of God's story is that Jesus, the Son of God, came to live among us. He took on flesh. He, as, as the message uh, translation says, He moved into the neighborhood. That this man lived a sinless life, that he perfectly obeyed all the commands of God, and then that he obediently went to the cross and was crucified by the people who should have received him as their king. There on the cross, he submitted to the Father's will, and he died, hanging on the tree. And what that means for us is that our sins have been covered. As Jesus died the death that we should have died, he took, on, he took our sins on His shoulders, and we bear them no more. But not only this, uh, Jesus didn't only die, He rose from the dead. And in, in so doing, He showed us that death has been defeated, that Jesus is the King of the universe, and that He is worthy of our worship, that He is worthy of our very lives. Proclaiming God's story is really a pretty simple task. We're to tell our neighbors about King Jesus. We're to lift Him high. We're to proclaim this story that I just said in a couple words to them, to tell them that there is hope, that there is forgiveness if we only trust and put our faith in Jesus. We're to be storytellers who tell that story to the world. The second part of God's story is His ascension um, for our purposes this morning. And if you look in verse 9, you'll see uh, what happens in our passage as Jesus ascends um, into heaven. It talks about the cloud there in verse 9, that a cloud took him out of their sight. Some of you may know that in the Old Testament, the cloud represented the presence of God, right? They were followed, the Israelites were followed in the wilderness by a pillar of, of a cloud by day and fire by night. So, the cloud means that Jesus is going up into the presence of God. It's not that Jesus went up into space, right? We, we know kind of inherently that uh, Jesus isn't dwelling in some realm up, of, up above us. Um, and the people at the, who, who heard this and saw this would have understood the same thing. They would have known that Jesus was going up into the heavenly realm. He was going up into the throne room of God, and He was leaving the earthly realm to take His place there at the right hand of God. Uh, this cloud is also probably a reference to Daniel 7, uh, where we're told that the Son of Man is taken up into the clouds. Um, and as we try to understand exactly what's happening here and what they would have understood was happening here, um, there's a custom in the ancient Near East, uh, or in the Roman Empire, I should say, which was kind of uh, in power in that day. When the Roman emperor would die, uh, often someone would remark, and it would be recorded, that they saw the soul of the emperor going up into heaven. 
Uh, and what they're doing there is th- they're making the emperor divine, right? They're making his soul divine. And that makes the succession a lot easier, right? They're, his son could say, well, I am the son of a god, so of course I should be the next emperor. Um, but how does uh, our passage compare to that kind of story? I think it's notable that we're not told that Jesus' soul leaves his body and goes up into heaven. But we're told that his physical, resurrected body is born up into heaven, in the clouds, into the, the very manifestation of God. It's amazing that Jesus, in his ascension, actually upstages all the claims um, in that day to divinity. And it can be hard to understand what that has to do with our lives, what that has to do in our world. But I think that God upstages all other claims to divinity or to the the right story, the right path for our lives in a similar way. Because our world is going to tell you that what you should do is write your own story. But God tells us that you're already part of a grand story, the grand story of the whole world and its creator. Our world is going to tell you that you need to earn, you need to work, you need to cheat and steal your way to gain a place in in this world. But God tells you that He made you in His image, and you already have inherent dignity. Our world is going to tell you that you have to be careful. You can't make a fatal mistake or else everything could be over. But God tells us that no mistake, no mishap is too large for Him to cover. God upstages the claims and stories of our world. I don't know if anyone out there is a horror movie fan. I wouldn't call myself a horror movie fan, but every now and then I enjoy a good horror movie. And one of the things that happens in horror movies sometimes um, is, you know, the the main character is kind of in focus. They're right in the middle of the frame. And uh, something nefarious or something dangerous or scary is happening in the background, right? It's out of focus. Uh, But the main character is the one who's in focus. Um, And then, but the really, so you're looking at the main character and they're doing something, you know, they're cooking or talking to a friend. But really what's happening that you need to be seeing is in the background. It's not in focus. And uh, I think that that dynamic is what's happening in our passage. That uh, the apostles are looking at the wrong thing, right? They don't see the zombie in the background that's about to attack the main character. They're looking at the wrong thing. And so if you look in verse 11, I think that's what's happening uh, when these angels come and kind of correct the disciples. They say, uh, why do you stand looking? This is a quote from John Stott. He says, their calling, the apostles' calling, was to be witnesses, not stargazers. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in nostalgia to, to the heaven which had received Jesus, but outwards in compassion to a lost world which needed Him. We, as God's followers, are to be singularly focused on God's story, on bringing it into the world, sharing it with those who don't know it or, haven't, or who haven't made it their own story yet. We are supposed to see the zombie. We are supposed to be looking at the right thing. And the question for us this morning is, where does this mission begin? In our passage, if you look in verse 14, we can see that it begins in continual worship and continual prayer. It's through the church, through a deep connection with God's Word and His people, that we can actually begin to set out on our mission. It says that they were together, and I think that the word together there goes beyond kind of mere assembly, mere gathering in one place, and it actually implies that the apostles had one mind, they had one purpose. 
It's probably not too much to say that they were Trinitarian, that the way they related to each other was Trinitarian in nature. To be a part of a church or community is to submit yourself to others, to enter into relationship with those who are different than you. Fundamentally, right, we're all different from one another. It's to enter, it's to, it's to enter into a relationship with those who are different than you. This is why it's essential for God's people to be a part of a local church. If you want to be a witness to Jesus, that is the primary way that God is going to do it, through His church, through His bride, together with others. So, it's just my encouragement to you all to dive in. If you're here and you haven't really gotten involved yet, or if you're here and you're just visiting, I want encourage you to dive in, to serve, to uh, join, to enter into the work that Redeemer is doing here in downtown Charleston, because that's the only way that we're going to be able to bring God's story out into the world is together. Uh, So, that was witnesses uh, of God's story, now witnesses by God's Spirit. We're going to be looking primarily at verses 4 through 8 here. So, the Spirit does two things for us. He corrects us, and the Spirit empowers us. The Spirit corrects us and empowers us. why do we need the Spirit? Maybe it's, an, it's apparent to some of you why we need the Spirit, uh, but our passage tells us why we need the Spirit. Look in verse 6. The disciples are confused, and they ask this question to, to Jesus. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And uh, one theologian said that there are as many errors in this question as there are words. The disciples are very confused. They don't know what is about to happen. So, they need the Spirit to correct them. Uh, what, this, what the disciples are looking for is they're looking for God, for Jesus, to do three, three things, to restore Israel now. But God is actually not doing any of those three things. Um, what God is doing uh, is God is not preoccupied with a physical territorial kingdom, uh, with the land that Israel was preoccupied with. He was not re- he's not preoccupied with restoring that land. God is not interested in locating His kingdom in one people group at this point in redemptive history. Uh, He is not preoccupied with Israel. He loves Israel, but uh, that is not His purpose at this moment in time. And then thirdly, the time that God is planning this kingdom is gradual. It's not immediate. It's not now like the disciples were wanting it. The disciples clearly need guidance. They need things to be cleared up for them, and that's what the Spirit does for them. He corrects um, their, the error of their ways. But the Spirit doesn't only correct us. The Spirit empowers us. Uh, and the Spirit does that through His presence, His power, and His purpose. The Spirit's presence. God gives us His Spirit because, as we can see in our passages, happened in the verses here, Jesus left. Uh, and the disciples need God's presence. If you are sitting here this morning and you've recently entered into something new, which uh, maybe for some of you could be a new relationship, it could be a new occupation, it could be a new home, uh, it could be you just moved to a new city, you're new to Charleston, it could be that you just had a new child, anything new in your life, if you've done something new recently, you know that new things are hard or they can be hard. And new things are also really hard to do on your own, to do alone. Um, I was recently bestowed the great joy of having all three of my young children alone for four days straight. Um, 
it was a very busy couple days. It, was, it, was, it really was a joy, but uh, it was difficult. And it reminded me that being alone is really difficult, uh, especially when you have a big task ahead of you, like caring for three living beings and preparing them for school and getting them bathed and washed and diapers changed. Um, being alone is difficult. And being alone is especially difficult when we're doing, um, we're trying to carry out the story of the creator of all things out into the world. It is a hard to do that alone. But the good news this morning is that we're not alone. We have the Spirit. We have the very presence of this Creator living inside of us and allowing us to accomplish the task at hand. That was the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's power. The Spirit also gives us power, and this is a little more obvious. In verse 8, it says it explicitly, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Um, It's important to see that we're not given this complex, difficult, onerous task and just told to do it on our own, told to kind of figure it out. But what we're actually given is the tools we need to succeed. We're empowered. We're given power. Um, I like to dabble in a little bit of woodworking uh, in my free time. And I just want to tell you, as probably many of you who have done something similar know, having the right tools is worth its weight in gold. Oftentimes, you can kind of fudge your way. You can make the wrong tools work. Uh, But what happens is it takes a lot more time and a lot more effort, and then it produces results that are less than ideal, that you have to spend even more time fixing or making making correct. Um, So just to say, if anyone has any tools out there, they want to give them, you know, I'm happy to to take them. Um, But seriously, having the right tools, having the power uh, to carry out the task that God has set before us is vital to effective proclamation. I think it's really important, um, kind of a side note here, about the power that we're given. If you look in verse 7, it says that, uh, it says that the Father has fixed by His own authority, um, and then it says that we have been given power. I think it's really important that there's a distinction between authority and power. God is the one with authority. God is the one who can determine the course of our lives. He's the one who can send us on missions. He's the one with authority. We're not given authority, we're given power. Our world is going to tell you that you have the authority, that you have the authority to choose your own path, to blaze your own trail, to write your own story. But our scripture this morning tells us that God is the one with the, God is the, one with the authority, and we are given power to carry out His mission. So, thirdly, the Spirit's purpose. The Spirit's purpose, His will, is aligned with the Father and the Son. I'm not going to get into the weeds of the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, uh, but just to say that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have one will. They are aligned, um, and they have one united purpose, and that purpose is for the world to be changed by God's story, by His redemptive acts in history, and then to be, go, to be sent out into the world to make that story known to others, to share the good news of it with those around us. Um, as I mentioned, I have three children, and uh, one of the things that I learned when, I, when we had the children, I didn't give birth, my wife gave birth to them. One of the things that I learned uh, through that experience was, uh, you know, it's this harrowing experience, right? I'm, I'm seeing looks of recognition out there, um, mostly from the men out there. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you go through this crazy experience, right? And then you're presented with this beautiful child. 
and uh, after they, you know, check all the things and make sure everything's right, uh, you're given this child, and then you get to hold it and do all the things, and then eventually you make it to the room where you're going to be for the next day or so as you recover. Um, and in that room, something uh, I found, once everything kind of slows down, uh, one of the first things that I wanted to do, um, maybe this is true for some of you, one of the first things that I wanted to do was to find the right picture, uh, get the whole announcement ready, send it to my friends, my family, tell them like, about this amazing thing that happened because God has done this amazing thing. He's brought this, this lo- new life into the world. Um, and likewise, in the ancient Near East, uh, in the time that this text was written, there was a custom to kind of do something like this when a king was enthroned. They would send out these heralds, they'd send out these kind of physical text messages out into the kingdom to uh, tell people about the good news, that there was a king, the king has been born, the king has taken the throne. And like a father or mother with a newborn child, you want to tell the whole world about this good news. You want to share this good news with those that you love, with those that are precious to you. And this is our mission as Christians. If what we teach and say about the Bible and about God is really true, we just have to share that news with others. That's just what uh, comes naturally after receiving good news. Um, I'm going to quote uh, a theologian, William Willimon. He says this about our passage. He says, even to know all about Jesus, even to have received instruction from Jesus Himself for 40 days, is not enough to accomplish the church's mission. The challenge is not the intellectual one of knowing enough about Jesus, but rather the challenge is to have the authorization and empowerment which enable succeeding witnesses to be doing the work of Jesus. What he's saying is it's not just about knowledge, it's also about physical actions. So what does it look like to do this work, to enter into this work that God is calling us? I'm going to give you a couple thoughts. For some of you uh, here worshiping this morning, it might look like going to your workplace and uh, faithfully working for the renewal of our city there. It might look like being a faithful presence in your neighborhoods, uh, welcoming your neighbors into your home and building an imagination in them for what a Christian home might look like. It might look like serving in some of the ways that I know your church serves around Charleston. It might actually look like changing your kids' diapers, wiping their noses, clipping their fingernails, because this is actually kingdom work. This is work that God has given us to do. For some of you, it might look like uh, pursuing theological education. It might look like, if you're feeling God's call to serve Him, it might look like going to seminary. It might look like giving financially to the work that God is doing in Charleston and beyond. It might look like serving in the mission field. It might look like God calling you to the mission field to serve Him there. Obviously, it can look all sorts of different ways. Um, And I know that Craig and the staff here would love to talk to you about what that might look like for you if it's something that you are um, considering how you might bring God's story into the world. Uh, As we close, I want to talk about where we're to bring this good news. And uh, if you look in verse 8, we're to bring this good news everywhere. It says that we are to bring to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That was that was kind of describing. It was to be his his uh, his witnesses in Charleston, in South Carolina, and even to the ends of the earth. It was kind of the three different regions um, that they had in their day. Uh, 
And what's amazing is if we actually step back and think about it, we exist, those of us sitting in this room, we are sitting here because the apostles faithfully carried out that mission. Because we are the ends of the earth. We are not in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. Um, We have this good news because of their faithful carrying out of this mission. So how do we carry it out into the world so that we can play a part in bringing the good news of the gospel to others? By His Spirit, we are empowered by God to be His witnesses. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure about this story. You're not sure that you are ready to make this story your own that you want to be a storyteller in this way. And if that's you, I hope that what you've heard this morning uh, and what you've participated in this morning intrigues you, that the sound of having everything you've ever done wrong covered intrigues you, that new life for you and for uh, those that you love actually kind of piques your interest. And if that's true, if that's true of you and and you're interested, I hope that you will continue to come back. You continue to come worship here at 43 Wentworth on Sunday mornings and continue to hear the story um, of what God has done for His people and what He intends to do through us um, and that we can worship the Lord who made all things, the God who made all things together. Um, And we can do that. Let me pray for us this morning. Our Father, we are so thankful Um, We're so thankful for the life that You give us, for new mercies, and we're thankful for Your Word, that You preserved it for us, that You gave it to us, and that You taught us this morning about what it looks like to be Your witness, to be Your storyteller, to bring the story of of who God is, of who You are um, out into the world. We pray that You would do that through us, um, that You would feed us um, this morning as we partake of the elements. Um, and that you would do it by your Spirit. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.